Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. It's good to be with you today. Uh, we are starting a new sermon series here in Montgomeryville, if you're with us, called Parenting Parents. So it, I, some of you aren't parents yet, I get it. And you probably are going to be parents someday. You already have it all figured out, so you don't need help, right? And so I remember being there. Before I had kids, I, I preached on parenting one time. It didn't go well. I told everybody what I was going to do. And uh, truth is, a lot of it has changed over the years. And so, and I just want to kind of give you a, a, a preemptive talk. I am not a parenting expert. I'm not going to give you a lot of my own opinions. I want to stay in the Word of God. I want to give you what the Word of God says. I want to give you some insight. I want this to be a, a, a month or a month and a half of encouragement. I want it to be a month where we get better. Uh, our, our kids need us to be the best parents we can be. Anybody amen that? They, they need us. It's worth it. And so, uh, and so it's not, some of you already parented. I want you to amen me, right? I want you to encourage. I want you to elbow. Maybe your kid's sitting beside you and say, see, I do know what I'm talking about. Whatever that looks like. But we're going to parent parents. And here's the thing about parent parenting. It's changing all the time. Anybody know that? It's changing. Like what they tell you works has consistently changed over the last 100 years. And so just so you know, I went back 100 years. This is when uh, pop parenting started in the 1920s. Pop parenting, they called it. And basically what they mean is modern age parenting. And in modern age parenting, everything is consistently changing, never staying the same. And so let me just give you a rundown so you can understand where I'm going. In 1920, the very first pop parenter uh, guru came along. His name was John Watson. Here is what he encouraged parents to do. Watch this, right? Let your behavior always be objective and kindly firm. Okay, we're good there. Never hug and kiss them. Never let them sit in your lap. If you must, give them a kiss on the forehead when they, get, when they go, to, go, go to bed at night. Shake their hands in the morning. I love that. It's good to see you today, son. <laughs> Give them a pat on the head if they have, an have made an extraordinary good job on a difficult task. You, wanna be, you don't want to coddle them too much. Might be what was wrong with that whole generation of people, right, who couldn't say I love you ever. How many people have you met? Not my generation, maybe the generation before, and they would say, my parents never said the words I love you. I knew they loved me. But they never said it. Maybe they were listening to good old Bob or John Watson, whatever his name was. 1922, they also invented baby cages, which I am an advocate of. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> baby cages were because most people lived in the cities, in, in high-rises, and apartments, and it was not safe for a kid to go out unwatched on the street, but they needed fresh air, and so they developed cages you would put on the outside of your window, uh, off the ground, hanging off the ground, and you would just send your kid for a time out into the cage. They would get fresh air, get their energy out, come back in. And so not that popular anymore, 1922. 1932, the popular method of potty training your child right after birth came into existence. It was called infant care. A health booklet advised mothers to start toilet training more than mere days after the child was born. Supposedly, you could have the whole thing wrapped up by the time they were eight months old. Luckily, a few years later, they invented disposable diapers, and now we don't potty train our kids till they're four. 1962, don't feed a hungry baby. This was a real, real thing. Don't 
feed a hungry baby. Here was the, the author's reasoning in Bringing Up Baby, 1962 book. <laughs> I love this. If we teach our offspring to expect everything to be provided on demand, we must admit the possibility that we are sowing the seeds of socialism. Don't me. True thing. Your kids think. No, 1970s. Got any 1970 kids here? Older people love to talk about how being a kid in the 60s and 70s toughened them up. It was also the generation that didn't use common safety devices like, like biker helmets and things like that, uh, leading to a fund 116,000 kids every year getting a, 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 a traumatic brain injury that would forever change their life, but we toughened that generation up. 1980s, you know, that's me. I remember parenting through fear. Parenting through fear, you remember this, right? 1980s, pure fear was often employed as a way of keeping kids on the straight and narrow. Instead of a fact-based discussion on the dangers of drug use, kids were just told, this is your brain, remember this, and this is your brain on drugs. Television aimed at kids routinely featuring unrealistic uh, worst-case scenarios. If you have sex, you'll die of AIDS. If you drink and drive, you'll die in a car crash. If you do drugs, you'll die of an overdose. Remember that? We're going to scare you. Wear dare shirts everywhere, right? 19, 2000s, 2000s parenting, baby Einstein. Remember that? You want your kid to talk early? Put him in front of baby Einstein, turn it on, and they will talk. And the problem is, later on, studies suggested it actually made them talk later in life. But it was good for keeping them busy. Can I get an amen, right? And in the 2020s, somewhere a few years ago, we've developed all sorts of parental methods. The helicopter parents, the tiger parents, the snowplow parents, the free-range parents, the gentle parents. We have all these, these different parenting styles. Here's what I noticed, though. A lot of parenting styles, very little success in our world right now. Very little success. In fact, uh, I did a study of parenting and uh, went online. I just typed in stuff like, parents, are they enjoying it? Over, over... Achy theme was no. Are you enjoying being a parent? Not really. You look at parents, it looks like everybody's a little bit miserable, overwhelmed, tired. You lost an hour of sleep today. Everything's messed up. Like, we, we're overwhelmed. Like, think about it. I, I even Googled it, like, articles. The one article said, I love my kids, but I don't like parenting. I hope I'm not alone. Another one said, I hate parenting. There, I said it. I feel better. <laughs> one said, how do I not hate being a parent? How can I not hate being a parent? So what I want to do is I want to take you into a spiritual classroom. I want to get away from all of the, the modern thinking, the modern teaching, the modern ways, take you away from Oprah, Dr. Phil, the podcast you listen to, the books you read, all the things that are constantly changing, and I just want to take you into the Word of God. Can I do that? I want to land in the Word of God, and here's why I want to land in, 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 in the Word of God. His Word, His wisdom, it never changes, and it's always true. Let me, let me just... It never changes, and there's no exception to the rule. It is always true. It never changes. The Bible says, Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flowers fade. Stuff comes and stuff goes, right, fall. But the word of God endures forever. Stuff changes all the time. Malachi 3 says, I, the Lord, do not change. And so here's, here's the key. To parent successfully, you are going to have to decide to live biblically in a world that doesn't do that at all. I mean, just to, to parent successfully, you're going to have to step away from the world that you live in, and you're going to have to make a commitment to live biblically. Why? Because God is the inventor of kids and families and parenting. God knows what he's talking about. In fact, God is the perfect example of a parent. 
So what I want to do is I want to spend the next few weeks going through the life of Jesus and showing you how he was parented by his heavenly father. He is the perfect example of what a parent is supposed to look like on this side of eternity. I want to start first in Luke chapter 2. If you're not a church person, Luke chapter 2 is a very interesting story because it's one of the only few examples that we get of Jesus when he's a kid. And so Jesus lived till he was 32 years old, uh, 33, sorry, 33 years old, and uh, he, 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 we know a lot of what he did after the age of, of, of 30. We know very little of what he did before that. And so we have little glimpses of, of his life. This is one of those times. We know his mom was Mary. We know his earthly father was Joseph. We know Joseph lived until at least Jesus was 12 because this is how old he is and Joseph is around. But most theologians believe when it, by the time he died on the cross that his earthly father has died. And so we know very little about his life. And so we're going to be introduced to a part of his, his story where his family is going to celebrate a holiday. And so let me just take you into the summer. I know we hate this day, uh, but, but it, it, is a, it means to an end because it means we're going towards summer. Can I get an amen about that at least? Longer days, not cold, you know, flowers, whatever you like. And so July 4th every year, what do we celebrate if we're from America? We celebrate... You guys know. Like you ever see those people on the street, they interview kids. They're like, you know what July 4th is? They're like, no, I never learned that in school, right? We celebrate Independence Day. We celebrate the day uh, that, that America became a country and, 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 and was freedom and broke away from England. And so we celebrate that. And so some of you are really into celebrating that and you're thinking about it. Others of you are just having a party. You're not even thinking about it. You live in America, but you have all these reasons America's evil. And so you don't think about it and like all this stuff's going on. So I'm not sure where you land, but I don't want to talk about that today. We can wait till later. And so... Uh, so we will celebrate that, though, most of us, July 4th. The Jewish people had holidays they celebrated. Jesus was a Jewish man. One of the holidays they celebrated was the Passover. Same kind of celebration. Um, they were celebrating uh, a time in their history. They were, they were slaves for 400 years, and God rescues them from slavery through the Passover, which I don't have time to explain the whole thing, but Moses led, led God's people out of, out of slavery. The Passover was the final plague. Uh, God told them to put the blood of a lamb on their door, and this angel would pass over them, and their firstborn child, son wouldn't die. And so it's kind of this whole, this whole pointing towards Jesus, but also they would remember like this happened and God, God got us out of slavery. And so every year on the anniversary of the Passover, they would celebrate it. A lot of the Jewish people would travel back to Israel, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So Jesus' parents were just kind of part of that. They took a caravan, a party. They traveled back to, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And this is where we are introduced to this story. Luke chapter two, every year, Jesus Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. So if you're a family person, you have those moments. Every year, my family went to Ocean City, Maryland. Where'd your family go? Everybody tell me, one, two, three. Okay, thank you for helping. And so, <laughs> I'm just going to be awful today. And so, all right, Ocean City, Maryland, right? Every year now, my kids will say, every year we travel, to, travel by car to uh, Myrtle Beach. Every year. We go down there in June, some point, sometimes spend two weeks, depends how long I can put up with them. But usually, somewhere like that. So every year, Jesus' parents, up to this point, went to Jerusalem for the Passover. The Bible says when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to their custom. Like, that's what they were doing. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. By the way, as I was reading through this, I was like, there are so many stories here. There are so many sermons. Like, they're literally, they're going to Jerusalem to celebrate God, and they forget his son when they leave. <laughs> you could be here today, and you could come to church, 
and you can totally forget God if you want. You can do all these things. You can drop your kids off at kids' class and come in here and just zone out. You can leave this place and completely forget God. You see how many, like, you're going to see so many sermons in this. They forget Jesus, thinking he was in their company. They traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court sitting among the teachers. Can we just stop? I don't know if anybody's ever forgot their kid anywhere. I have. It was 15 minutes, and I felt like an awful parent. Jesus' parents forgot him and then lost him for three days. Some of you, this is confirmation. This is good news to you. You're like, Jesus turned out all right. <laughs> Whew, I can breathe, right? I forgot my kids in the car that one time, left our house, came back after 15 minutes, pretty sure they're going to need counseling, but it's going to be okay because Jesus' parents forgot him for three days, right? Three days they forget him, the Bible says. The Bible says they go back to find him. They find him listening and asking questions to the religious leaders. Everyone who heard him was amazed at this understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why are you searching for me, he says. Why are you searching for me? He says this, and this, is, this, is, this stuck out to me. The Bible says that, he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? What's interesting, I've seen this whole thing play out with, with Christian parents a lot. They, they, you, you invest, and you give, and you educate, and you, you school, and you, you, you point, and they got this big plan. You got these big goals for your kids, and then they meet Jesus, and Jesus starts changing your goals. And they start not doing what you said them to do. You spend all this money on education. You want them to be successful. And all of a sudden, success looks different because success is actually following Christ. We're going to talk about that. And all of a sudden, they're wasting all your money. You invested all this stuff. You spent all this money and this time. And they want to go a different direction. And that's essentially what's happening. What are you doing to us? Why are you doing this? I've seen this conversation happen where, where God has a plan for the kids. And the kids, the parents have a plan for their kids. And somebody has to win out in that situation. And what does Jesus say? I know you had a plan for me. I know you wanted me to be with you. I know you wanted safety. I know you wanted to, you know, me with you. But I had to be where? I had to be in my father's house. This, this just stuck out to me as something we needed to discuss. I have to be in my father's house. Here's why. It's an encouragement either way. It's an encouragement. Some of you, you carry the weight of being a perfect parent, of being a parent who gives your kids all of the, all of the opportunities, all, the perfect life, the perfect memories. You know what I'm talking about? You capture every moment. You document it. You, you, what's that book called you used to give to kids? You got all the bubble, word bubbles, and the kids are going with scrapbooking everything. You, you got everything perfect. You give them the perfect room. They have an itch. You scratch it. You get them the most expensive shoes. You got them into the most expensive, expensive places. You're doing all these things for your kids, and you can do all those things for your kids and still fail if you don't get them into the father's house. All those things. And the flip side, you can lose your kid. You can forget him for three days. You can be an absolute nightmare of a parent. And as long as they get to the father's house, they're going to be okay. Some of you, you're perfect parents, social media parents, you're offended. Normal parents like myself who know we're screw-ups, I'm going, My main job is to get my kids to God. 
That's why, listen, Journey Church will be a spiritual contributor to your kids. That's why we did the kids' wing. That's why we got hundreds of people back there teaching them. That's why we have an auditorium. That's why we're going to expand in a few months and add more space because you keep having babies. Let's be honest, right? You got to slow down for us. And so, like, all these things are going on in our church, and we will be a spiritual contributor. We'll teach them about Jesus. We'll invest in them. But you parents are a spiritual catalyst in their life. You are the one who is supposed to point them in the direction to make a decision to follow Christ. Everything else is unimportant without that. What's your number one goal? I got to get my kids to the Father. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how I get them there. I got to get my kids. This is Jesus. I got to be in my Father's house. You see, many of you, success is a destination. But the truth is, if you're a Christian, the success in your kid's life is a decision. It's that decision that hopefully they'll make one day. You can't make it for them. That's what stinks about it. I've tried. Hey, bow your heads, close your eyes, repeat after me, take their mouth, do that thing. It doesn't work. I'm praying that one day my kids have the same experience that I had when I was, when I was probably 18 years old, 17 years old, and the spirit of the living God began to work in the heart of a very insecure, uh, didn't know where he was going, goofball of a kid. He started to speak into, into my life, and he changed me from the inside out. That decision, it, everything changes. And you can't make that decision for him, but you can point them in the direction to one day make the decision. And that is the only thing that matters in their life. Everything else will work out if you get them to the Father's house. So let me just give you a few thoughts today. Well, I, got, I always have four. You know I'm going to have four. And so it's in the Bible somewhere, four gospels, stuff like that. And so four, let me give you four thoughts on how you point your kids towards success, how you get your kids toward, towards success. And they're, they're important, and they're going to be about you parents. And so number one is this, is make sure to seek God's kingdom first. Make sure, if you're a parent, if you want your kids to find Christ, be in your father's house, you got to seek God's kingdom first. First, and let me just give you a little prerequisite of why I'm saying these things. I'm not saying these things because I've done them myself. I'm saying these things because my parents did these in my life, and this is why that I follow Christ today. So I'm, I'm not telling, well, look what I did to my kids. My kids are still a work in progress, trust me, right? But I'm talking about my own life. How did my parents lead me to Jesus? First one, make sure you seek God's kingdom first. So here's a couple questions you should answer. Here, here they are. How do you spend the first part of your day? How do you spend the first part of your day? If you spend the first part of your day on social media, you're not seeking God's kingdom first. If you spend the first part of your day listening to the news, you're dumb and you're not, spending God, you're not going to God's kingdom first. If you spend the first part of your day packing up lunches and, and putting stuff in the thing and I got a schedule to do, you're, you're going to be crazy all the time. And you're not, you're, how do you spend the first, is the first part of your day, your kids know I get up early and I get into God's word before you get to me. Because if I get there before you get to me, we're going to be cool. But if you get to me before I get to God, there's going to be problems in our house. How do you spend the first part of your day? And here's an answer. How you spend the last part of your night impacts how you spend the first part of your day. If you spend the last part of your night binge watching a show you shouldn't be watching and so you're so tired you can't get up, you're never going to spend the first part of your day in a healthy way. How do you spend the first part of your day? How do you spend the first part of your finances? How do you spend the first part of what God entrusts you with? How do you spend the first day of the week? You know what the first day of the week in the Bible is? Anybody know? It's Sunday. 
How do you spend the first day of your week? How often are you in church? How much of a priority is attending together as a family? Make sure to seek God's kingdom first. And here's why. The Bible's filled with promises. And the Bible says all God's promises are yes and amen. In other words, we have a cause and we have an effect to God. I know it's been a long time since you've learned cause and effect, maybe many years, cause and effect. Let me just give you some cause and effect. Cause, right? I never brush my teeth. That's the cause, right? I never brush. What's the effect of never brushing your teeth? You're going to have summer teeth. Some are here, some are not. Summer teeth, right? That's the cause. I never brush my teeth. I don't take care. I don't go to the dentist. I don't floss. I don't like, like mouthwash. I don't brush my teeth that often. Okay, when your teeth don't last, when you get older, it's not God smiting you. It's the toothbrush that you abandoned, right? And so a cause and effect. Uh, I smoke cigarettes. That, that's the cause. I smoke. What, what, what do they tell us that'll happen if we smoke too often? We could develop what? Cancer. It's cause and effect. It's not, it's not shocked. It tells you right on the package, right? You're taking this chance. You can't get mad at anybody else. You took the chance. If you're a basketball player and you travel, you're dribbling the ball, and you, you pick the ball up and you travel, and that's the cause. You're, you're not doing it right. What is the referee going to do? He's going to do what? He's going to blow his whistle and call what? A penalty. Player can't get mad, right? What am I doing? Dude, you just ran 16 steps. That's a travel, right? You're breaking the rules. Cause and effect. Uh, I flipped the light switch on. That's the cause. What's the effect? It comes on. Come on. I flip the switch, light comes on, right? It, it's cause and effect, cause and effect. Uh, I have a sedentary lifestyle. That's my cause. I just sit around in my sweatpants all the time, and I play video games, and I watch TV, and I chill. That's the cause. What's the effect of that? Early death, right? Ca cause and effect, cause and effect. Let me give you cause and effect in Scripture, Ca cause and effect. Watch what the Bible says, and I just read this verse to you, I think, last week, Matthew 6, but it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the cause of your life. What's the cause of my life as a Christian parent? I'm going to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. I'm going to teach my kids that our life is about the kingdom of God. We're going to seek first, first, first of the day, first of my finances, first day of the week. Everything about my life is first. God is first in my life. I'm going to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And watch, watch the effect. What does the Bible say? And all these things will be given to you as well. You're not a Bible person. Maybe you don't know what Jesus was saying. He was talking about money, life, drink, body, health, everything that you stress out so much about your kids' lives. I'm worried. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they're going to be a success. I don't know if they're going to make it. I can't even tie their shoe. They're 16 years old. God, what are we going to do with them? I don't know if we can do it. What are you supposed to do? Seek first God's kingdom. Everything else will work out. Here's why this is so important to remember. I want, I want to say something to you that might offend you, uh, and I'm sorry before I say it. But God is a better parent to your kids than you're ever going to be. Did you, did you track with me? You're not good enough. I know some of you think you are. God is a better parent than you will ever be. He's known your kids the longest, and he loves them the most. His plan for them is more complete and better than any plan you could ever come up with. God is a better parent to your kids than you are. Amen? Seek first God's kingdom. Number two, number two, make sure your faith is real. Make sure your faith is real. It is impossible to give away something you don't have. And here's what I found in my own life. Oftentimes, we try to pass a faith to our kids that requires absolutely nothing. And they don't buy what we're laying down. They did a study a long time ago of kids, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've been in church long enough to now see this play out. And so, 
I started pastoring in 2000 and, and, or 2003 was my first job, 2002. I don't even remember how long. It was a long time ago. I was a children's pastor slash youth pastor. And so I was there, and I used to, used to read stats, and it would say eight, you know, 80% of kids that are going to be in your church are going to leave the church. 80%. 80% are going to grow up in the church, going to leave the church. And uh, I've seen it play out. I was, I was, I've been around long enough to watch the kids that were literally five years old when I was teaching. I remember they would come in. They were just little, little kindergartners, and I would teach them about Jesus. And I've been around long enough to be able to keep up with many of them on social media and watch them live a life that is anything but following Christ. Some of you say, why is that? It's because God's not real. I, I, would say, I would say, no, I would say it's because we're not real. And eventually your kids, they start going, I don't want religion. They're not stupid. Especially in American culture, we used to think that the pressure of being, being a part of a church was enough to keep people in church, but that pressure and that weight is no longer there. That weight, that expectation is no longer something that pushes people to church. So now you can raise them in church, but be fake. And eventually, oftentimes, most kids go, I don't want any part of this. So I'm just going to tell you, for me, I grew up in church. I can't tell you one sermon my dad ever preached. And it's not because he's not a good preacher, but I did the same thing that my kids do to me now. You reap what you sow. I, my kids will tell me, I'll say, hey, what are I preaching? I don't know, you're so boring. What do you even talk about? I'm like, I talked about Jesus today. Just say Jesus, right? And I don't remember many sermons. I, I don't remember. I don't remember a lot of what happened at, at Sunday school. I remember eating Dunkin' Donuts at Sunday school. That's it, All right? I don't remember a lot of what happened in my church, what was taught to me in church. But I do remember the lessons that my parents showed me through their life. I, I, I remember the times in my life when my parents showed me risky, real faith. I remember when my dad used to take his tie check. I don't know if he got paid on Monday, but I remember that tie check. He would write it out and put it in an envelope, and he would stick it on his bill, his bill desk in our kitchen, and I would walk by every day. I vividly remember he would put it there early in the week, and the message was, no matter what you break this week, this God's money. No matter what happens, it's God's money first. It spoke to me. It meant, man, God is real. We're going to take him at his word. I remember when I was a young man, uh, my, my dad was a pastor. And he started, when he started, his church was very small, which means money was very tight. And they stayed there for 38 years and they, 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 in the same community. And I remember at one point, my mom started working for this insurance company named Bodie Borderman. Anybody from Boyertown? Bodie Borderman, the building sat right in the middle of town. And she started as a secretary, but my mom is, is, did not stay there. Like, she is a boss through and through. And so she started as a secretary. But by the end of her job, they had moved her all the way up. And she was so far up in the company, she was making commercials for them. I thought my mom was Boyertown famous at that point, right? And I remember, she was making good money. We no longer went to Merkel's, to the back of the, of the building in the old barn, and picked out the cheapest shoes. There was a time in my life where I could go to Foot Locker at the Coventry Mall and get shoes. And we finally had money, and it was going well. And I had clothes that I liked. And I was like, we have money, and it's great. And I remember the one day my mom told, told my brother and me, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit my job. And I'm going to go work at the church. And I, got, I was like, no, no, right? I remember it was such an overwhelmingly sad moment for me. But if I look back on it, it speaks of a risky real faith. Remember when we started Journey Church and I have no people. How do you get people to come to a church? I don't know. And my dad had a successful church and he said, you can, you can take whoever you want to start your church. I said, whoever I want? He didn't like have a special room with people he didn't like. You could have them, right? Take my problems with you. And you're here today because of his willingness to be risky real in his faith. 
Like, I want to pass on. I want you, I want to pass on a faith where my kids go, man, my dad and my mom actually believe God is real. They actually step out in faith. They step out of the boat. They trust his word. They believe his promises. Let me give you two more thoughts. Make sure your faith is real. Number, number, number three, make sure you're willing to be the spiritual leader. Can I just, can I just talk to you for a second about something that's bothering me? Being a leader is awful. Do you know that? It's, it's one of the worst jobs in the world. Everybody wants to be a leader until you're a leader. It's a thankless job. Um, you're never going to get told you're, you're appreciated. You're, most time you're going to end up being the villain to somebody. I, I remember when I, was, when I was a pastor, my first job, I wasn't the lead pastor, and so I knew how to do everything, but I'd never done it before. You know what I'm talking about? And then it took like a couple years into this to realize, man, I was an idiot. I should call my pastor, my pastor's wife, my pastor's pastor's wife, you know, all that stuff, and just apologize because I'm an idiot, right? And, and, and being a leader is tough. And so what happens in, in families is God, God has put you in a kid's life because your kid is, is equipped uh, to, be, to be who he's called him to be, but he is in need or they are in need of you being a leader to help protect and guide them as they move towards what God has called and created them to be. They're not prepared yet to make wise decisions all the time, and they're not prepared yet to think about the future. What do your kids often think about? The candy bar in front of them. And so they need a parent. God gave them a parent that will come along inside of them and say, I love you enough in this moment to protect you, sometimes even to the point where you don't like me in this moment, because I want you to get to who God has called you to be. I can see that. You can't even see that right now. But because I can see that, I'm willing to stand in this gap in this moment and be unlike. If you're not getting told, I hate you, you're a worse parent, you're ruining my life, you, you, you do what other parents don't do, everybody else is so much better than you, you're doing it wrong. Can I get an amen? At some point in your life, you're going to step into your kids' lives. And you're going to go, they're going to go, you're ruining my life. And you're going to go, I am. You're right. I am ruining your temporary because I believe in your destiny. And I just want to encourage you. What I've seen, and I'm, I'm going to be as, as kind as I can be, what I see in a lot of kids' lives is an absolute lack of leadership with parents. You want to be friends. You want them to think you're cool. You're not cool. I'm not cool. I'm 43 years old. Look at me, right? I'm way past that. You want them to be happy. I want you to be happy. I just want them to be happy. Think about it. how many times do, 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 I, do, do, you, do you come to church and your kids don't want to come? And how many times, hey, where are your kids at? They didn't want to come to church today. Did your kids not go to school this week because they didn't want to go to school? Why didn't your kid go to school this week? They just didn't want to go. I don't want to force education on them. What do we do with that? We open up their mouths and we slam math down their throat, right? And people be like, I just don't want to force God on them. What do you mean? I got to be honest with you. There wasn't a moment in my teenage years where I woke up on a Sunday morning and I was like, church, yes. I was like, oh my God, we got to be there at 930. This is so early. Okay, I got to go. If I make it through, I don't get in trouble. I can play basketball. That was my motivation. Be the spiritual leader in, in your kid's house. Let me, let me talk about something else people are not leading. As your kids get older, you have technology you give them. You know what I'm talking about? We give kids technology right now and we assume they're not going to get in trouble, right? Let them go on social media, TikTok, to their, their, you know, Snapchat, do all these things that they're doing, un, 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 unfollowed, unwatched. You know, we'll just assume they won't get addicted to pornography. Can I just give you a stat? And if there's any kids in the room, just earmuff them for a second. And uh, so I don't have the exact number of kids that look at pornography under the age of 18 in our country right now that have been exposed to it, but most studies say it's 100%. 100%. 100% of kids under the age of 18 have been exposed or are currently right now engulfed in pornography. Satan is literally trapping them 
and, and entwining them and already ruining their life from a young age. Here, here's where it gets even creepier, is of the, the kids under the age of 18 that have seen pornography, under the age of 10 accounts for 22%. Some of the kids that came up here today, they were five, six, seven years old. We're going, okay, we're going to just play a little prevent, prevent. And meanwhile, Satan's playing man to man. And he is all up in their business. And he wants to destroy their sexuality. Some people are trying to figure out what's going on. Is it a chemical imbalance? No, it's a lack of spiritual leadership. Lead your kids. I'll give you one of the best things. You have kids right now. They have technology. I'm going to give you an app right now. It's not in the Bible, but it has changed my life. It's called Canopy. Canopy, it costs $16, $17 a month. You can put it on every, every piece of equipment that you have, and your kids will hate it, but they will love you someday. I thought I'd get an amen there. Amen. I just don't want to watch my kids, blah, 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 blah. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something else. I'm a pastor, and I sit with men all the time that are struggling with stuff, and it breaks my heart to sit with a 25, a 30, a 40-year-old man that has been addicted to pornography, and it's ruining their marriage, it's ruining their kids, it's ruining their life. And I think to myself, what if they would have had a dad or a mom that stepped into their life when they were a young person and was willing to get uncomfortable so that they don't have to be dealing with what they're dealing with right now? Be the spiritual leader in your, parent, in your kid's life. Amen? Number four, last one, last one. Really important, really important. Uh, make sure that you teach them to bring every tough moment to Jesus. This one's important. Life is hard. And uh, one of the mistakes we make as parents, as Christian parents, is we don't show our kids that struggle. We want to be strong. I'm not going to let my emotions hang out. I'm not going to show my kids I cry. I'm not going to show my kids it's tough. I'm not, I don't want them to know ministry sometimes is overwhelming. You know, sometimes I think that I'm going to keep this from them because I want them to be in ministry someday, so I'm not going to tell them about the bad parts. But the truth is, I want, I want them to see a reliance on the Spirit of God. I, I want them to see a person who is desperately in need uh, in the tough moments to, to go to the source of the, of, of the one who can lead me, guide me, heal me, hold me, and get me through. And we do a bad job of that as parents. We try to hold it all together. We try to keep it all together. We try to appear like we, we, we got it all figured out. And the truth is, if you're honest, your kids are over there, and you're over here, and oftentimes you're over here, and you are falling apart. You're a mess. You need help from God. And then you pick them back up. You're like, let's go. It's good. And instead, I want to I show my kids a deep reliance on the presence of God through every situation of my life. I want them to see through failures. I want them to see and I want them to experience uh, me repenting. I want that to happen. That just happened this week in my house. I don't even know what was happening. It was Thursday. I was a little, I was a little in my emotions. You ever been there? And uh, it was morning time. I found morning time is the opportunity to have your biggest fights with your kids because they're the most annoying in the morning, right? And so morning time's there. We're trying to get ready for school. They're stressed. We have one bathroom. They get, they get ready. And so there's always fights. There's one sink. They can't all do their hair at the same time. They can't all brush their teeth at the same time. God forbid, right? And so there is literally always fights. Their voices are, are changing, and so, but they're in the middle of changing, and so they're loud, and they all both sound like Napoleon Dynamite, and so it's just there, right? And so it's just constant fights. I don't even remember what the fight was about with me and my oldest son, but there was just a fight, and he left, and uh, there was issue there, and I immediately was like, man, I messed up there. And I just, in that moment, I just want, I want him to experience the, the, a text from his father. Hey, man, I, I, that's, not, that's, not, that's not the way I want to act. That's not, that's not who I am. And no buts. You know how parents do buts? Yeah, I, was, I, I did this, but you don't understand how stressful it is to be your parent, right? 
no buts. You don't even, you just keep your butt out of it, right? And so you just, I'm just sorry. This isn't the way you're supposed to act. I want my kids, I want my kids to begin to develop a relationship with God where they, they bring tough moments to him, even as young men. And so really cool in my, in my house, my, my wife is really good at this. And I begin to watch uh, my kids uh, get ready for different things at school, different, different sporting events, different whatever, and ask my wife, hey, can you pray with me over this? And I just love that. Like, yeah, let's, let's invite God into this. We're not going to ask him to make us win because let's be honest. It's not like God is like, okay, I'm going to make you in. These people are going to be losers today because I don't care about them, right? Like, I'm not going to pray like something like that, like, because it didn't work for the Eagles, so it's probably not going to work for you because I tried it, right? And so I'm just going to pray that God gives you strength, helps you to play with character, represent him well, be a good teammate, be grateful to your coaches. Like, like just have this attitude keeps you safe in combat. Like, just, just pray. Take every mo- I want to teach my kids that. Take every moment. I want them to see me on my, my hands and knees, just praying out to God. I want them to hear. Some of my best memories of my life was when I could hear my, my dad and my mom behind closed doors praying, uh, praying, and I could just hear their voices. I didn't even know what they were saying, but I just knew they were praying in that moment. And I just, I just I want my kids to have that in their life. What you do is important. It's a big deal. But here's the thing about it. If you don't figure out one aim, you're going to aim at everything, you're going to hit nothing. You're going to aim at everything. You're going to hit nothing. That, that's how you're going to aim at success. You're going to aim at destination. I got to get them. You're going to hit nothing. And so instead, we're going to aim at one thing. The Bible says that of your kids in Psalms. It says your kids are like arrows in your hands, but arrows are meant to be aimed. So I'm going to aim them directly at God. I'm going to seek first his kingdom. I'm going to show them real faith in, in my life. I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to lead them. I, I, I just want to encourage you parents. Some of you, you just, you, you, you've cowered. You think to yourself, I can't lead them because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not good enough. I'm going to fail. Let me just remind you, Jesus' parents lost him for three days and he still turned out okay. That, that is the most encouraging aspect of Jesus' life to me when it comes to parenting. He still got to the cross. He still accomplished what he was called to accomplish. He still birthed and built his church. We're still standing on his cross right now. And his parents, he didn't have perfect parents. They lost him, and he's still okay. And some of you have cowered. I don't think I can do this. I failed before, so if I failed before, I'm going to fail again. You are going to fail again. That's why you rely on Christ, right? As you decrease, he increases. As you're weak, he's strong. I'm going to seek him. And then let me just, I'm going to take, I'm going to take every tough moment. I'm going to show them Jesus. Some of you here right now with your kids, just going to show them Jesus in this moment, man. We're not where we're supposed to be at, but I'm going to show you what it looks like to turn my life to Jesus, to call on him. The Bible says when I call, he answers. Amen. Would you stay into your feet all over this house? And would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just, as I prepared these messages and I began to contemplate what to talk about, next week I'm going to talk about the power of God's word in your kid's life. This principle that I've, that I've taught many times in church. The most powerful words in your kid's lives are God's word for their life. I'm going to show you through the story of Christ. But I've just felt this overwhelming. I'm not sure if it was because uh, of the amount of kids that are in this church right now, the amount of young parents, the, I'm not sure what it is. I'm, I'm not sure why I feel that weight, but I feel such a, a burden to speak on it right now. I want to end the series. I'm not sure how long it's going to be. I'm going to preach till you get it. And so 
But I want to end this series, and I've just been thinking a lot about the weight that some of us carry around of anger and bitterness towards our parents. I want to remind you, Jesus' parents lost him, and he still turned out okay. Some of you blaming your parents for your life right now. Some of you are convinced that if you would have had better parents, they would have done it more, or they would have taught you better, or they would have led you better, that you'd be different. That's an awful way to live your life. The Bible says that you can live your life as in response to what's been said and done to you, or you can live your, response, your life in response to what Christ did for you on that cross. And here's the problem. Some of you making your parents bigger than God in your life. And some of you, because of that anger, if you're honest, you just passed it down into your kids. Some of you, oh, you're past parenting. And you're still mad at your parents, and you've passed it down to your kids, and now they're going to pass it down to, to their kids. And so it, it, it stops with somebody. The chain is broken with somebody. So why not let him break the chains? Why not let Jesus redeem and set free? Why not let him heal? Why don't you let go? Why don't you go back into the book of Luke and remind yourself, I've got to get to the Father's house. If I just get close to him, if I hear his voice, if I feel his touch, if I can be forgiven and set free, that's where my life changes. It's a relief, by the way, because you begin to realize that you're not carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders when it comes to your kids, that he's got them. He's got them. He's a better parent than you're ever going to be. Some of you need to let that go. You messed up. You failed. You've fallen short. That's who you are outside of Christ. Some of you carrying the weight around of, of being perfect, but your whole life is a lie. You need to let that go. You need to be open and honest to who God is. You need to trust him. You need to take your kids to the one that loves them, that cares for them, that made them and created them. You need to walk your life out in peace and in joy and comfort and freedom. Maybe you're here right now, and as I, as I, as I speak, and I, I spoke about that, that thing with the parents and being angry at, at your mom and dad. Maybe as I spoke that, you, you, you are that. Like literally everything about your life is just this disgust with your parents, and it kind of defines and directs your life, and you can feel that, and you're tired of it. You're tired of it, and you're ready for a change. I believe that change is found at the foot of the cross. I believe when you let go of your past and what you've done and what's been done to you and you take hold of the victory of Jesus that he not only sacrificed his life on a cross the Bible says that he was placed in a tomb and on the third day that he rose in power and it's through him that men and women become brand new people that were healed and were made whole and that Jesus is here right now I know he's here because the Bible says we're two or more gathered in his name that he'll show up when you lift up his name, he'll draw people to himself. He's the name above all names. The name by which all men may be saved, the Bible says. Everyone can experience Christ, can experience salvation if they would just call on him. So maybe you're here today, you don't know him, but you need to. Maybe you've been carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. Maybe you've been carrying bitterness. Maybe... You've been trying to figure out how to live life on your own, and none of it's working. And you realize that you got to stop running. You got to stop searching. It's, it's not happening. 
and you're feeling called, the Bible says that he knocks at the door of your heart. If you would let him in, he would come in, he would forgive you, and he would make you whole. And maybe that's you right now. Maybe you carry so much shame. Maybe as I talked about parenting, that you've done it. And man, you, 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 you've messed up and it feels like it's over. Man, I got to tell you, if your heart's still beating, it's not done. Healing and wholeness can still come to your family, but it's going to start with you. And you can only be healed and you can only be whole through Jesus Christ. So I'm not sure where you're at, but I know that there's people in this room that you need to know Jesus Christ. You need freedom. You need hope. You need healing. You need relief from your pain. You need joy, unspeakable joy. You need to be set free. You need to leave this place a brand new person. If that's you all over this place and in Montgomeryville, I want to pray with you as we close. I want to lead you in a prayer. Maybe you've never prayed before. Prayer is just calling on Jesus. I'm going to talk to Jesus right now. I don't know Jesus, but I need to. I need him to heal me. I need him to make me whole. I need him to forgive me, and I need him to set me free. If there's anybody in this place, you would say, that's me, pastor. I don't know Jesus, but I need to. Nobody's looking around. Everybody's got their own stuff they're dealing with, but that's you. I'm talking to you right now. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Come on, front to back, side to side, if that's you. Would you just shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, pastor, you're speaking to me. I need healing. I need to be made whole. There's a hand here. Is there anybody else? There's another hand here, hand up here, another hand, yeah. Could you just keep your hand held high for one more moment? If I miss you, is there anybody else? There's another hand here. Come on, church, let's keep clapping all over this place. Here's the promise of Scripture, the cause and effect. The Bible says when we call, he'll answer. When we call, he'll answer. So if you put your hand up right now when we prayed, uh, and even if you didn't, I want you to pray and repeat after me. Would you say, Jesus, thank you for this day. Jesus, today, I need you. So I'm asking you to come into my life. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe on the third day that you rose in power. And it's through you that today I'm set free. I'm a brand new person, I'm whole, I'm forgiven, and I'm loved. So Jesus, today I leave this place, and I'm different. Now as we, as we are resting in this spot, maybe here in Montgomeryville, is what I want to pray. I want to pray just a, a prayer of, of courage. It takes courage to embrace challenge, That's, and parenting is challenge, courage. So we're going to pray for courage. The Bible talks about how the Spirit of God brings courage. So Holy Spirit, would you fill this place with courageous parents, both young and old, those that don't even have kids yet. Would you birth a spirit of courage? If there was one thing that our, our culture needs, it's a church that believes wholeheartedly in your goodness and your grace and is so steadfast in what you teach that we're not swayed by culture at all. We have our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, and we lead our families with the courage that the, only the Holy Spirit can fill us with. Lord, I pray right now that you would not create a spirit of condemnation and not create a spirit of failure. Lord, that you're good, that you're in this, that you're with us, that you never leave us nor forsake us, that if our heart's still beating, that there's still time for us, that our kids aren't too old and our, our, our influence isn't over in their life. They might be grown right now, but Lord, the work you want to do in their life is going to start with their parents' life right here. 
So I pray right now and I thank you for all that you're going to do in this place over the next few weeks. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray all over this house. Let's shout amen together. Let's clap together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.